Randall, I'm going to borrow a phrase that you like to use a lot. Wow. <laughs> Wasn't that great today? You know, I wish we had a few more people here to hear it, but hopefully they were watching online or on our uh, program or at least listening to it on the radio. But man, that was great today. I'll get you ready to go. Uh, so today we begin kind of a new series, a continuation of what we were doing in January. But we're starting on an endeavor together as a community of faith. We are reading through the New Testament together, and I really hope that uh, you will commit to joining us with this plan. Um, so what that means is starting February 1st, a few days ago, uh, we started reading through the New Testament together. And today, February 3rd, Matthew chapter 3. Uh, last week, I think we had bookmarks that you can get in there. If you didn't get one of those, uh, we'll get you one. I'll just have to ask Melissa to make a few more copies of it. But you can keep right there in your Bible to follow along. Mark off the dates as you go. Uh, if you, you have a tendency of misplacing things like I do, you can go to our website and find the plan there or even sign up for an email reminder. Um, but I will warn you, this is a very dangerous endeavor. This is something that there was a point in my life that I kind of had a sense of loss. I didn't know which direction I was going. And so I did two things. I started praying like I never really prayed before for direction, and I started reading my Bible. Well, I ended up here in the pulpit. So God, if you allow him, if you allow him to speak through your word, if you are willingly to, to undertake a task that from day one is difficult, I mean, this is a habit-forming type thing. And, and All right, so let's talk about habits on, on that front. So right, probably not many of you did. Did any of you do a New Year's resolution? Maybe, maybe a couple of you. Some of you probably don't want to fess up. But we are now into February 3rd. Guess what the percentage of those here today probably who actually had a New Year's resolution are continuing to do it? It's really small. Most people who have undertaken resolutions, by the time you hit February, especially by the time you hit Valentine's Day, have already forgot it. So this is good. You don't have anything you're committed to. You've already given up on that for the year. And so we're going to start now fresh with this reading plan. We're going to read it together. And I promise you this, that if you can make a commitment to read one chapter a day, some of these chapters really aren't even that long, so there's a few days where you can just blow through them and get to the next one. One chapter a day, and if you earnestly try to read together, you know, if you miss a day or two, just read a few chapters that day. If you missed a month or so, just start where we're at. Just say, you know, I've screwed that up. I'm not able to read. I'm not going to worry about catching up because I'm going to start where we're at. There's always next year to read those passages that you miss. And I hope many of you have heard these because we're going through the New Testament. We're, we're Bible-believing Christians, so hopefully you've at least had a lesson on some of these. But if we can do this together, I promise you God will open the door for things that we can't expect. We don't know where he'll lead us through this. We don't know what direction, but we know that if we do these together that we'll have an ear as a community to listen to God's Spirit on our lives, and there'll be doors and chapters open, I promise you, that we wouldn't think of today. We may come to this next year and say, you know, I never would have thought God would have done this, but God is a big God. He can do things that we can never imagine. I'd never imagine I'd have ended up here, but a simple task of making a conscious effort of reading the Scriptures and accompanying that with prayer. 
God totally changed the direction my life was heading. And I hope he can do that for you. And I know he can if you let him. And so today, as we enter this book of Matthew that we read together, there's a couple of things that may help you read the book. So Matthew may have been the author. We don't really know. It doesn't actually say it in the book. We just assume because that's the, the, the title of it. The Gospel According to Matthew or, or the book of Matthew or however your Bible labels it. Church tradition tells us as early dating as 125 A.D. that Matthew wrote it. So I don't have any reason to argue that he didn't, but there's actually not an author's signature on this letter. Uh, we know it was written towards the end of the first century. That doesn't have a whole lot to do with us today, but it was written after the disciples started dying because they needed a, a witness to, to live on after the disciples. And so, who is the audience? Audience helps you kind of understand books of the Bible. Uh, most likely, it was Jewish Christians. Why? Because it is written in a way that it assumes you understand a little bit about the Old Testament Scriptures. Now, if you've never read the Old Testament in its entirety, that's okay. There are clues given to what these prophecies were and things like that. But it's a continuation of a story that began years and years and years before it was written. It's not just a gospel, a good news announcement about a figure that came on independently of history. It is about uh, salvation history at a turning point. And we can read that through the Old Testament, through the, the five books of Moses, those first few books of the Bible. We can read it through the, the dawns of the judges and the kings and all of Israel's history on where they went wrong and how they ended up in exile and how because of divine intervention they were allowed to return to their homeland and rebuild their temple. It is the story of how God worked in the past, but you know, if you close the book of Malachi, the Old Testament... And then you open the book of Matthew, there's a gap. It's kind of those silent years where God didn't really speak directly to the people. There wasn't any prophet of significance that was risen up during those days to lead the people. It's just kind of silent. But what Matthew does is kind of how Genesis to, to Exodus does. There's just one flip of the page, 100 years change, and God is starting to do something new. But he's not doing something completely new. He's doing something new with what has already come before. He is stepping into history as he stepped in before. But he's building on the promises of everything that has come before him. Now, if you've read this book before, from entirety, from the page one to the end, you may not have noticed this, but Matthew is written for Jewish people like the way Jewish people wrote things. Not exactly, but he is. Because it is broken down into five sections, five discourses. But it's also interwoven very beautifully with the narrative story of Jesus' life. And the reason this is important is because Jesus is portrayed as the new Moses, this new one that would deliver them from this bondage, this slavery. Moses had five books, first five books of the Old Testament. There are five teaching sections in the book of Matthew that Jesus teaches at various times, but it's about the kingdom of God breaking into humanity. No longer is there this separation, but God is now interwoven history on earth. And the first chapter, you'll notice, is a great genealogy. 
So you're like, oh yeah, this is definitely written to the Jewish people because it is the, the genealogy of, of David and, and all this as you read through it. But if you did that, you may have noticed there's a few women cited. This was a little unusual because you didn't list women in genealogies back then. It wasn't really important so much who the mother was as it was the father. But there's women, and these aren't necessarily Jewish women. These are Gentiles. So as this book was written and crafted for a Jewish audience who was rich with the theological significance of what a coming Messiah might mean, it is also interwoven the tale of all humanity. Jesus' mission in this particular book, in his gospel ministry, in the three years that he walked from, became, from be, leaving his days of a carpenter to being the Messiah, this short three-year window of time, his mission wasn't to the whole world. It was to the lost sheep of the tribe of Israel. He went to the Jews with this message. But over and over as you read this book, you will notice that those who he did not come to started figuring it out. And they became saved because his mission, short term, was to a targeted group. But it had worldwide significance. And so it was, as we pick up in chapter 3, you would have just noticed that Jesus was born and John the Baptist comes on the scene. Now John was this funny-looking fellow, dressed in camel hair, ate locust and honey, basically lived in the the desert, kind of this hermit-like figure. But if you knew your Old Testament, you knew he sounded like Elijah, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. And he comes as the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight his paths. And he started having this following as he preached in that, that desert wilderness area around the Jordan River. And many came out because he was preparing their hearts for the kingdom of God to come. He wasn't preparing it for his ministry. He was preparing it for someone else. And there were those who should have known to look for the Messiah in a certain way. Those Pharisees and their, the Sadducees. And they came out to inspect this man named John the Baptist. This baptizer. This one who was speaking for the people who had a following. He was filled with the Spirit. We don't see it in Matthew's Gospel, but we'll pick it up in Luke. That says he was filled with the Spirit even from his birth. Remember when Mary went to see Elizabeth? And the baby inside of Elizabeth's womb jumped for joy because of her mere presence? He was a Spirit-filled life. An example of what being a Spirit-filled life looks like. But those Pharisees and those Sadducees came out. Those leaders, those ones who were in charge of the temple and and all the the teachings of the people. Even from a a lay leadership side, these Pharisees were kind of like our deacons today. They were the ones who who were tasked to, to live a certain way as examples. But he saw through their facade. He says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? John's message was his message of repentance. It was calling all of those to change their ways that were leading them away from God's coming kingdom and repent and turn towards God to see what was about to take place. But forever John would point away from himself. He says, I am not the promised one of our Old Testament prophets. I am not the Messiah who will deliver these people to deliver them from their bondage that they find themselves in. 
but I prepare the way. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. Those sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So Jesus Christ is coming. The Messiah is coming, the anointed one of God. The promise of the Old Testament is coming and is soon to be fulfilled. But he brings two things. He brings the Spirit and he brings fire. For those who have repented and turned in the right direction that are receiving this baptism of John, you ought to be filled with awe, wonder, peace, hope, and all these kind of things because this promised one is coming to baptize you with the Spirit. But those, he looks out, even in our presence, those who look religious, who live this moral life, those who look like they should be favored by God, he says, he is coming with fire also. So if your heart is only right on your outside, the facade that you show other people, this Facebook image that you present to the world, where all those bad things that are deep inside you, you have hidden away, and only want to present a certain image of yourself to the world, he will see through that. And he will bring judgment. So it's not about the outward appearances for John. It is about the heart. It is about the heart. And this one who is coming will bless those whose heart is in the right direction, but he will judge those whose heart is far from him. One thing you will notice in Matthew's gospel, Jesus hasn't been announced yet to the world. We have his birth, but it's really kind of this in the background thing. There's not this, this official proclamation of who Jesus is. Now we have all the fulfilled prophecies of the Old Testament. We have the virgin birth. We have all this. We have the, even the, the, the flee down into Egypt to where he is called out. But this is where Jesus comes in on the scene. Verse 13 of Matthew 3, it tells us this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. There's this movement. Jesus is coming. It's interesting here, isn't it? We don't start with Jesus and figure out how he got to John. It doesn't say anything here where, where Jesus, you know, hung up his hammer and, and took off his nail apron and said, this is the day that I'm going to go see John out in the wilderness. It doesn't have any of this of what Jesus turned aside on how he left his mother and his brothers and his sisters and stuff and left to follow the will of God. doesn't have that here. It says... Then Jesus, from Galilee, came to John to be baptized by him. It's interesting. John's there doing his work. We have this big introduction of who John is, what he's wearing, all this kind of stuff. But for Jesus, he just simply shows up. He just simply goes to where John was at work where his ministry was thriving, where those were coming out from Jerusalem and all the surrounding areas to be baptized in the Jordan River. And then Jesus just shows up. You know, you, you read Luke, it's just almost like he's standing in line. You know, I've talked to Beth and some, about her trip to, to Jerusalem and some others that have gotten to go there. And there's this scene where you can go down and be baptized in the Jordan. That's a great opportunity. I've never got to do it. I've never been overseas like that but you can go and be baptized like Jesus was in the Jordan River 
Now, it's going to be more like the Disney World version because there is a paved concrete path with handrails and a line that you have to get in and weave around. But you can go and you can wait in line. And if you have a pastor or something in your group, they can lower you and bring you back up. Good stuff. It's almost like Jesus just kind of showed up and got in line, isn't it? He's just waiting there for his turn. You know, I'm curious, how did John know Jesus? We, we know that it's, Jesus is his cousin, but we don't know what kind of relationship they had. They grew up in different areas. John kind of grew up in this weird little homeschool kind of thing that ended up in the, uh, the wilderness thing there. And Jesus spent most of his childhood, his first eight years of life, down in Egypt. They grew up apart. And then he returns to Galilee. So... You may not have even known them. You know, we, we don't have pictures and photos and things like that. But he might. They were cousins. Mary and Elizabeth seemed to have a good relationship. They could have got together. They could have known them from their childhood. But Jesus was a carpenter. You know, he was filled with the Spirit. But there's a lot of good lay people that are filled with the Spirit that do great things for God. You know, he could have been the, the rising Pharisee that would set them straight, that would change their outward, you know, morality into this inward heart thing. John doesn't know what he's called for. But there's that spirit thing again. It keeps coming up. You know, you know Ashley said sometimes we worry as Baptists that we're going to be filled with the Spirit and start speaking in tongues. Nobody's jumping up to do that right now. I'm looking around. But, you know, some of those things have gone. But there is a thing, if you speak in tongues, somebody should know what you're saying. It's not just this utterance. We can get into a whole other discussion on that. There's something about being filled with the Spirit. There was something in John that he ultimately recognized who Jesus was. Whether he knew him from his childhood as, as the, the boy of the, the carpenter or the cousin or the one who, who had great Bible studies there at the synagogue. We don't know their relationship before. But something in John... I tried him to prevent Jesus. Just like Peter tried to prevent Jesus from doing what God's will, because there was an instrument of Satan kind of, of working there in the background. But Jesus, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? This great evangelist, this John the Baptist, who had thousands and thousands coming out to him to be baptized in the Jordan, ultimately realized his ministry was not cutting it. Did you catch that? This one who was this great leader who was baptizing all these people ultimately realized in Jesus' presence that he was not worthy of where he stood. Because he knew even though he practiced, preached and preached about repentance and how to come to the Lord and prepare yourself for the kingdom of God, when the kingdom of God came, he realized how unworthy he was at that. But Jesus had come. He had come. So the story continues. It says, But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then it says, John consented. So there's this idea of fulfillment. Jesus is fulfilling all righteousness. That's kind of what repentance is, making yourself right with God, this kind of idea of forgiveness. But, but righteousness is more than just doing the will of God and, and these kind of things. It's this idea of obedience, of living the right path. It's about going where the Spirit leads you. 
about listening to the, the voice of God, calling you to go and do certain things. And, and so as Jesus meets John, and John's heart is open to the reality of who is in his presence, that man who had been waiting in line for his turn to be baptized finally comes down. And he's there, and there's something that happens that John realizes who this man is. His cousin, this carpenter's son, this Bible study leader maybe. But Jesus says, let it be done now, because now is the appropriate time. All of Scripture leading up to this point was waiting to a time. John's ministry is pointing to a time to come. And Jesus says, now is that time. He said, it's not about you, John. It's not about your unworthiness. I have come to you for this time. And so John did it. He baptized Jesus. <laughs> what a feeling. He didn't keep him under there long. He knew he didn't have to hold him down so all those sins would be washed away because he was really dirty. You know, that's the old joke of the pastor. So we're just going to hold you down a little extra so make sure you're good and clean before we bring you back up. It says immediately, doesn't it? Let's, let's, let's read on. It says, And then Jesus was baptized. Immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Immediately. Now has come... And immediately, the kingdom of God has been presented. This long-awaited Messiah, this one whose John's entire upbringing, his entire life had pointing to, now had come the time. And immediately it happened this way. It says, the heavens opened to him. And he saw the Spirit coming down, descending like a dove. If you read through the book of the Old Testament, Genesis, you know, Beginnings, that's what it means in Hebrew. There's a Greek word also for it. I'm not going to share it because I always mispronounce those. I do, don't even do great with English. This book of genealogy, this book of beginnings, opens up Matthew's chapter. In the book of Genesis, if you've read through it, there's this dove or this figure hovering over the deep before creation takes place. If you read through those early chapters, you also know that mankind gives themselves up to depravity and all this kind of stuff. And God simply is going to wipe them off. But there's this man, Noah, who's raised up. And there's this deliverer. And he, Moses, I mean, not Moses, sorry. Noah starts sending out these birds, this dove. One comes back. It's a symbol of this new creation. So this dove, this spirit, the symbol of the spirit of peace is also the spirit of creation, of newness. So what is old is being made new. It is not being done away with, but is being made afresh. The old is gone and something new is happening. And it comes to rest on Jesus. Now, the way Matthew recalls this scene, it's not this individual scene. It kind of looks like in Mark where there's this messianic secret. But here in Matthew, it seems to be this public forum for Jesus had waited in his line, you know, he'd got his turn at the baptism. And now it's probably drawing a little bit of attention because John was in there calling people on and said, repent your sins, boom. But now this Jesus comes in and there's this kind of dialogue that wasn't happening with the other people. Because as they go, you know, they, they, they dunk them and there's this whole little ritual thing. 
If something different happens in that rhythm, you take notice, don't you? There's one little hiccup in line that, you know, the people may not have heard what John was doing, but they noticed that this wasn't taking place like everybody else's was. That John seemed a little bit different in his his personality with this discourse with this fellow that's in the water. And so now everybody's watching. And then we see that he's lowered and he's brought up. And we hear as the heavens opened up. You know, these are these, these visionary reports and things like that we read in the Old Testament. It's coming true right there in the front of them. We don't know exactly what the people understood. We don't know if they just saw a bird kind of flying down and landing nearby. But something took place. And it was for all to see. It was for, for Jesus and for John, we see that it coming to rest. And it was for those that were out there hearing that the kingdom of God was at hand and to prepare their hearts. And then a voice said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is now anointed as the king. The fulfillment of all those other prophecies that came before In the line of David, we've got the genealogies. We've got all of this leading up to the point, this virgin birth. Everything is now coming together. All of these promises are being fulfilled. But it is different than we expected. It is different than John expected. And John tried to put his own spin on it. He says, no, Lord, it's not I who should baptize you, but you should be baptizing me because I am not even worthy to be in your presence. But this is what it did. The king has now been crowned. He has now been presented. The heavens open up and declare, this is my son. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity are in one here, accord, and Jesus is coming on the scene. But Jesus came on the scene. From Galilee, he came on the scene. The chapter before, from heaven, he came on the scene. We didn't go out and find him. He came to us. We didn't have to straighten ourselves up before He came on earth. We didn't do that. Jesus comes to where the sinners are. They are in the Jordan being baptized by John for the repentance of their sins. Jesus comes with the sinner and joins them in that baptism. He joins humanity in their sinfulness to fulfill righteousness. For this is the will of God. And he is obedient unto that. And in three years, his obedience will be fulfilled on the cross. And by his own blood, our sins are forgiven. But he had to come to be with the sinners in order that he could be there. That he could break the conflict. As Moses was called in the desert, those many years ago, to go do something different, to bring his people out of captivity. So now Jesus has been sent to go to where the people are in their captivity. For we are before we know Christ. We are those captives in sin. Or just looking for a way out. And some happen to hear the voice of a preacher. Of a friend. 
of a brother or sister. And they're saying, you know, you need to make yourself right. Because there is one who is coming. He comes with forgiveness, with the Spirit, so that you may truly live for the first time. But he also comes with judgment. For those who turn and become his children, he takes under his wing. And his strength, our strength is in his refuge. But those who stay on the outside because they are assured that their way is working, that those Pharisees and those Sadducees and those religious litters, that their way is working and it is right and I don't need to come to you for anything because what I am doing is working. John says, you are a brood of vipers. Not only are you leading others astray, but you yourself will face a judgment as an unquenchable fire. Raise your hand if you choose the unquenchable fire. That you're doing everything right and you've earned your place of where you should live eternally. None of us earned it. We didn't even really ask for it. Jesus had to come to us to show us. He had to show us how to live, and he had to bring us to something better because we could not pass that great chasm that lays between us and where God is. For we are an unholy people, and God is a righteous, holy God. It is only when Jesus came to connect the two, to give us the Spirit, to cleanse us of our inequities, that we are able to bridge that chasm that is so great. And so, in this baptism, the Old Testament prophecies are being fulfilled. The promises that we are looking for are being fulfilled. And God himself announces that there is a new king. And so now I ask you, do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Do you believe that he is the Son of God? Do you believe that he is the fulfillment of all those promises that came before? From all eternity's past to the presence to the future. Do you believe that he is fulfilling everything that God has given us? Do you also believe that he is the one that will come and bring judgment on this world? For in judgment that gives us a sense of urgency. Do you believe that Jesus is the one who broke the silence? Broke those silent years from the Old Testament to the New. Well, if you believe these things, we don't need another 400 and some odd years of silence. We need you to share that message. We need the redeemed people to take a stand. You have heard it proclaimed.